Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. So this is a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. This is the message translation. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem Village, Judea territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to that newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We are on pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote about it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear, for you will, from you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with his scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. And then he told them a prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go find this child. Leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you at once in worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. And then the star appeared again. The same, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. And it led them until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house, and they saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. They opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod. And so they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. The Gospel of the Lord. Today is the last day of Christmas. And as we've heard from the song, 12 Days of Christmas, we know that Christmas lasts 12 days. It goes from December 25th to January 6th when we celebrate Epiphany, the visit of the three kings or the wise men or bandit scholars or magi. And that's January 6th. Unless January 6th doesn't fall on a Sunday, and then we scooch it to the next closest Sunday. So here we are, the last Sunday of Christmas. And we hear about these folks. In the Greek, Matthew calls them magoi. And that I at the end, that oi, that makes it plural. You know, like cactus and cacti? It means it's plural. So we know there's more than one. But it's really not clear exactly what Matthew was referring to, which is why we hear all these different titles for these folks from the East. Magoi was kind of a generic term, and it, it was used to refer to a class of priests from Persia, so maybe that's who they were. Maybe those folks were from, from Mesopotamia, like Abraham. It is 
clear where they came from or who they were. But one thing is very clear. They were not Israelites. They were not Hebrew. They were not Jews. They were not followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, Jacob. They were Gentiles. They were outsiders. They were foreigners. And these foreigners have come to worship this king of the Jews. To pay homage. To give allegiance to this king of the Jews. Well, why would they come from the east to give allegiance to a king and then go back? I mean, can you imagine somebody going on a pilgrimage to England, giving their allegiance to King Charles, and then returning? I'm thinking, what does this allegiance mean? Are they, you know, these folks going to King Charles, are they thinking they want to be English? They want to, you know, follow the laws of the UK. But then why return? Well, it's been a long time since these visitors from the East came to the newborn Jesus. 20 centuries of history. And the truth is, we really don't have much experience with kings and monarchs. I mean, you know, King Charles and Queen Elizabeth, they're kind of more like celebrities to us than anything resembling um, what they used to think of as monarchs. And so kings at that time were rulers. We get that. They were rulers without constitutions to limit their power. And so we can imagine that a new king would be a threat to the sitting king, Herod. Although I don't even know if we can call Herod a king, Herod was appointed by the Roman Senate. He was still relatively easy to threaten, it appears, because he was a tyrant and he was vicious. We have accounts of him executing multiple members of his family, including three sons. And Herod goes on to do horrible things in Bethlehem, trying to get rid of this newborn king that his magi came to worship. So kings were rulers back then, and more. The reading we just heard is from the second chapter of Matthew. And Matthew begins this gospel all about who Jesus is. So the first chapter begins, the very beginning of the gospel of Matthew, begins with an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Perhaps some of you have opened up the New Testament and just been hit right away with so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so, or so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. I mean, you just get hit right away. And it starts with Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Well, those begats, those fathers of, that's Matthew showing his work. You know, he's showing how Jesus descended from David, who was the most wonderful king, and David descended from Abraham. And then right after that, we get the story of the angel visiting Joseph and telling Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the son of David, and Jesus is the son of God. 
Matthew's first chapter, he lays it right out. And then we come into this passage we had today. When we hear about Jesus being, um, you know, the angel telling Joseph that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in that virgin birth, we've all probably heard that story. In fact, probably everybody around us has heard that story. And if you're watching a show and there's some, you know, report of a virgin birth, we right away go, ah, conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know, child of God. That's what we would hear because we're familiar with that story. Matthew's first readers were also familiar with stories of virgin births. So, you know, Rome was the occupying power, and legend had it that Rome was founded by twins, Romulus and Remus, who were conceived by virgin birth. And, you know, there's all those stories about the Greek gods, and then later the Roman gods, and the Egyptian gods, and um, some of them, you know, were virgin births, and some of them weren't. And then there were rulers that were said to have been virgin births. All the Egyptian pharaohs, you know, were said to have descended from the god Ra. Alexander the Great, who conquered the whole known world at that time, was said to have uh, been a virgin birth. Augustus Caesar, the emperor of Rome, who called the census that got Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, Augustus Caesar was said to have been a virgin birth. So these would have been common stories to Matthew's readers and Matthew's hearers. And those virgin births were just like us. They said, okay, so this king is a ruler, and this king is divine. It comes from God. And so this, this group from the East, Spanish scholars, wise men, kings, magi, they weren't coming to find a new ruler to obey. They weren't coming to find a new set of laws to follow. They were coming to worship God. They were coming to lay eyes on God in the flesh. To give their gifts. And then to return home changed. In the first chapter of Matthew, Matthew establishes Jesus as son of David, king, ruler, son of God, divine. And then in the second chapter, this story of these folks from the east, it's just dripping with symbolism that those early Christians would have heard every bit of. The gifts of gold, which would have been a gift for a king, for a ruler. The gift of frankincense, which was a spice that came from Arabia, which was far away at that time. This was burned as an incense, and in Exodus chapter 30, we hear frankincense being burned as an incense before the Ark of the Covenant, and that fragrant odor going up and pleasing God. And myrrh was a spice, a tree resin, used in anointing oil. Oil used to anoint kings. Oil used to anoint prophets. And it was a resin used in burial, which we hear was used for Jesus in the Gospel of John. And there was rich symbolism in those gifts. Matthew 
Matthew also does an awful lot in his gospel of parallels from the beginning of the gospel and the end of the gospel. So here we have these magi are looking for king of the Jews, and at the end of the gospel, when Jesus is hanging on his cross, there will be posted above him, king of the Jews. In the beginning, we have this band of foreigners, scholars, magi, wise men, coming to worship Jesus. And at the end of the gospel, we will have the disciples, after Jesus has risen, it says they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. And then perhaps most importantly, Jesus says, he tells those disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We have Gentiles coming to worship, and then at the end, we have followers of Jesus being sent to Gentiles. Chances are, all of us would be considered Gentiles unless we were born into a Jewish family. That gospel that was sent was sent to the whole world, to Jews and Gentiles alike. And scholars tell us that Matthew's church, the church that wrote the gospel of Matthew, was a church of Gentiles and Jews. For Gentiles, that title, King of the Jews, it summed up that ruler and divine. For Jews, the word Messiah did the same thing. It summed up that meaning of ruler and divine. So Matthew is introducing us to Christ, who is both ruler, human, and divine, beyond. In theology, we talk about this, um, you know, uh, material world and beyond as imminence and transcendence. That's one thing you get in seminary. You get to learn big words and how to pronounce them properly. It's very exciting. So imminence is that uh, presence in the material world that can be measured, sensed. That's the world, the world of, you know, time and space and matter and energy. And transcendence is presence beyond. Beyond what we can physically observe. So we talk about God as being transcendent, as being in heaven, which is beyond our capacity to observe. For the ancients, they literally meant up in the sky, because of course no one had gone up in the sky, and that was beyond their realm. But we also talk about God as being imminent, as being in the present world, in the material world. And Matthew is showing us how Jesus is both. How Jesus is the son of David, human, imminent. And Jesus is the son of God, divine, transcendent. In fact, some would say that Jesus is the imminent presence of God. And so God is both imminent and transcendent. God is beyond anything we can understand. And God is right here with us. Present. Some would say that Jesus is the 
say that we also share in this imminent and transcendent nature. If we have an imminent nature, obviously, we can look around and see each other. But that each of us also has a transcendent nature. I actually think we tap into that all the time. When we have that sense of something beyond what we could put our finger on. When we have a moving prayer experience. Or when we are caught up in music that takes us to God. When we've had those kairos moments, those moments when life becomes so big that time stops. When our children are born. When someone we love dies. Sometimes it's when we are deeply involved in discipleship action. Sometimes we have that sense of that beyond ourselves when we're just volunteering at the food bank or going to a demonstration for an issue of justice or watching a child learn. Sometimes when we are exercising our charism, when we are using our spiritual gifts, we have this sense of something bigger than us flowing into us and through us. I think transcendence happens all the time in our lives. And it connects us to God. Those folks from the East, they came looking for this King of the Jews. They came looking for God. And they laid their eyes on God in the flesh. They gave their gifts, and then they returned home to me. You know, I think, I think I want the same thing. I want to lay eyes on God. I want to give the gifts that I have been given, and I want to accept God's transformation. We began this Christmas celebrating the incarnation of God and the birth of Jesus. We celebrated that the birth of Jesus changes the world and changes us. And so today, as we celebrate the end of the Christmas season, we walk into the world ready for a new life that begins today. A new life looking to lay eyes on God hungry to give gifts that we have been given and willing to accept God's transformation. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Nia Crossway. CUNA United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.